Hi and hello watch fans, and welcome to another edition of The Real Time Show. With me, your friendly neighborhood jeweler, Aloma Joseph. Today, I'm very honored and proud to welcome to the virtual studio, Mike France, one of the co-founders of British watchmaker, Christopher Ward. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Alon. Thank you. It's a, a pleasure to be here for the first time, and thank you for inviting me. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're extremely busy. So let's get the banter out of the way. How much agony did you have with such a surname growing up in the UK? <laughs> Strangely, it garners more curiosity as I cross into other countries, particularly France. <laughs> Everybody at uh, Border Control, uh, I end up having a conversation with um, and uh, uh, often tell them that uh, my roots are um, Huguenot roots. So, <laughs> so that's always a always of interest to people but uh, uh growing up um not so much really there were um there were a few englands um in the in uh, one of my classes as i grew up so that was um that was uh, a nice sort of england against france in the uh, the playground playing football so that was that was always good yeah that's interesting because one of our co-hosts david vaucher is uh, mm -hmm. obviously french and he's so proud of the French watchmaking getting revived. So we always make jokes about the French. So, um, okay, we got that out of the way. Mike, please introduce us. I can do it, but you are so multi-pronged, so omnipresent. You do so much. And also for British watchmakers, because Christopher Ward is, if I'm not mistaken, two decades old as a brand. That's right, yeah. Besides that I love English and British watches. I like British women because my wife is English. <laughs> and I've been almost uh, dating her. And she's my wife now for two decades. So the first time I've ever discovered Christopher Ward was when I was commuting up and down to London. In the in-flight magazines, I saw Christopher and I'm like, wow, cool brand. And I've been following you guys ever since. And ever since you launched the Bel Canto, I'm in love. <laughs> with your wife or with us? I'm still, I can still admit that I'm in love to, with her. And it doesn't matter if I do or don't say it on air because she doesn't listen to the show. But, <laughs> no, but with her as well. But, but, but with you guys. And then I met Adrian Buchmann and all the yeah. bits and pieces fell together. And you guys came out with some um, um, wave-making models recently. I want to talk about that. But sure. the most interesting thing I want to discuss is you guys were from day one a D2C brand. What do I mean by that? A direct-to-consumer. So please tell me a bit about yourself and why Christopher Ward was founded and why was it immediately a, a direct-to-consumer brand? Because you guys were super innovative to do this. Sure. I think at least we tell people, and I think we're accurate. We were the first... Um first online only um sort of premium watch brand so um the business was actually founded in uh, may of 2004 and our first watches went on sale in june 2005 and my background is um is um pretty straightforward really i'm a a retail lifer um um and worked for a number of blue chip um organization retail organizations in the uk uh, including uh, places like Sears, um, Arcadia, BHS. And then in uh, the mid-90s, my fellow Christopher Ward co-founder, Peter Ellis, and I ended up, our company was running the Early Learning Center, which um, for those of your listeners who don't know is a or was a, uh, a large educational toys business based in the UK, but with um, uh, 
branches all around the world. Um, and uh, it had got itself into a spot of trouble. And um, my company and I were parachuted into to help uh, return it to health, which I'm pleased to say we did. We bought it along the way and then sold it uh, in 2004. As I've said uh, on a number of occasions, you can only spend so much time on the beach. And after a month, I was getting particularly itchy and wanted to do something else. Watches was of interest, A, because we kind of liked watches, uh, but also because one of the criteria we had is we wanted to, from the beginning, develop a online-only brand. And the reason for that, in answer to your question, Alon, is uh, during our time at um, Early Learning Center, we, had become, we were a very early adopter. Um, of uh, of the of online business, and although having sort of um, four hundred five hundred stores worldwide at the time, um, in nineteen ninety seven we launched um, an online website uh, for Early Learning Centre. Again, I think we're the first or second toy business in the world to do it, uh, and it proved extremely successful. And if you can sell climbing frames online we thought you could probably sell anything and you know having spent a, a career uh, in bricks and mortar we also felt that um, you know online business was likely to be the growing trend and where the future growth was going to come from so we opted for a different business model um, to that which existed went online only uh, positioned ourselves so that we could take advantage of the low overhead that this offered us, which we passed on to the customer in low prices from the very start, uh, not low quality, but low prices. You know, the rest is sort of history. I mean, people literally t- rang me up in 0405 to say, look, you, you know, what you're doing, this is not going to work. Um, you are not possible. It's not possible to sell um, a watch uh, a, a quality watch online. People will always want to have it on their wrist first before they commit. Um, but as I say, we'd we'd been selling uh, items um, uh, like uh, like climbing frames um, previously, and so we we felt that whilst there would be some resistance from some people, that this would be overcome over time. And I'm pleased to say that that's through uh, through more luck than good judgment. Probably that's what's happened uh, subsequently. So that's the sort of roots of the business. A lot of people think that Christopher Ward is just a made-up marketing label, which unfortunately we have too many of them in the watchmaking industry. But Christopher <laughs> Ward actually <laughs> exists, right? He, he he is a real person. Um, <laughs> no, Chris, Chris and I go went back a long way. He was one of the three original founders of the business, and. Uh, um, he had a small uh, importing. He'd worked for me in the past, um, going back to the very early '80s when I was a uh, a buyer of um, of, uh, of boys and menswear, and then became a um, women's wear buying controller. And Chris had um, had worked for me, and always was a uh, an interesting chap. We lost touch uh, for a number of years. Then through early learning center, he, he discovered, we discovered each other again. Uh, he was um, not um, not really interested in developing the business he, he, he owned at that time. And when I suggested to him that, um, you know, perhaps he might like to join Peter and I uh, in creating a, uh, a, a watch brand, uh, he was uh, he was up for that. And the first discussions actually took place on his boat on the Thames, um, sailing at six knots, no more than six knots, down the Thames. 
we plotted to um, to overthrow the entire Swiss watch industry. <laughs> uh, this was uh, after one or two beers had been drunk. It must be said. And the original plan was that um, Peter and I would be um, would put all the money in, which we did, and uh, take sort of uh, non-executive type roles, and Chris would do all the work. It quickly became obvious that um, that wasn't quite the way it was going to work out, and so increasingly over the the years, um, we became um, more and more involved until by about 2010, um, you know, uh, we were sort of doing most of the most of the work. Meanwhile, that famous sort of route that all new businesses and brands go through, the naming of the brand uh, had to be discussed. And initially it was, go- <laughs> it was going to be called MPC, Mike, Pete and Chris, but that sounded a little too like IWC, we thought. And then we uh, considered using my wife's uh, maiden name, which is Fennel, and Peter's wife's maiden name, which is Wurzwick. By the way, Wurzwick is a, um, a famous old clockmaker in Cumbria in the UK. Um, but Fennel and Wurzwick sounds like something out of a Dickens novel and might be very good for um, for vintage watches, but not for the contemporary watches we wanted to deliver. So almost in desperation, I said, look, we want it to be real. We want it to have a nice cadence um, for an English brand to call itself Michael France probably isn't quite appropriate. Um, Peter Ellis is a bit mundane. Christopher Ward, on the other hand, has a very nice cadence and rhythm to it, uh, and it was real and true. So we um, that's how the the the, the name evolved, uh, came into fruition, uh, and um, you know it uh, it it uh, it uh, it a uh, very proud day for Chris uh, as well. So. Um, we were delighted that, uh, you know, we really resisted ma- these made-up names that you refer to. We wanted this to be a genuine, genuine brand and a genuine, genuine company name. And I think you've done a great job at it because when studying your website, and for our dear listeners, you can find Christopher Ward under the name as you hear, .com, so C-H-R-I-S-T-O. P-H-E-R-W-A-R-D.com. You'll find your Bader Sr. And I've had lovely calls with York Bader Jr. Who are these lovely chaps? So um, they're very important members of our team. Uh, York Sr. is uh, now a shareholder in the business. And the story behind that is um, very originally, the, the business plan was to develop um, watches entirely in the Far East, but using Swiss-made uh, movements and uh, around about 2000 and end of 2006 into 2007 we were largely using ETA movements and at that time the Swatch group for good reason I think they were con- very concerned about fake watches um, using real um, Swiss uh, movements they decided not to provide any Swiss made versions of particularly the ETA at the time 2824 that we were using into Switzerland, into um, the Far East. And so we had a choice at that point. It was one of these sort of um, ap- apocryphal moments when we could either continue to make uh, everything in the Far East and therefore change to movements that were made in the Far East or including maybe moving to um, movements such as Mayotta. Um, or we could... Mm, move our glance towards Switzerland and um, find 
manufacturers in Switzerland that we could work with. And we decided to take the latter route um, rather than the former. We believed that, and still do today believe that, Swiss made is a sort of a uh, important benchmark uh, for people. Uh, and still today it stands for um, for all the things that we know and love about watches. It doesn't mean that other countries aren't uh, capable of making fantastic watches, and we know that's obviously uh, not the case. You know, you only have to look at uh, Seiko, Grand Seiko, et cetera, to, to understand that's, uh, that's not true. But, you know, nevertheless, Switzerland stands for something uh, in most people's mind's eye. So we moved to Switzerland. When I say we moved to Switzerland, we just got in a car, drove to Switzerland, um, knew nobody, didn't uh, have a clue, and just went and talked to people. Um, made appointments at factories, and then discovered um, a, a, an operator who had access to Swiss movements, uh, Swiss ETA movements, because one of the things we discovered early on is that that's not that wasn't as easy as we thought it might be. Um, you you had to have uh, there was a quota system, uh, and we didn't have any history, therefore we weren't uh, we didn't have a quota, and um, we found somebody who did have a quota. Uh, so we started operating with um, with um, this Swiss manufacturer, um, but discovered as I've discovered all all the way through my career, because I've been involved in the manufacture and the selling and marketing of many products over the course of a lifetime. And one of the truisms that you discover is there um, a country is um, is variable. There are good and bad. Uh, manufacturers in every single country, and that includes Switzerland, and it includes Swiss watch manufacturers. And I won't name the company, but the the company we were working with, the quality of what they were producing was so far below what we would accept that we decided fairly early on that we would move our gaze elsewhere. And so we were then then very fortunate to come across a company called Synergy Horologer, which Jörg Senior had set, Jörg Bader Senior had set up, and we moved. Uh, that he shared. Um, I think he was a bit shocked by the model that we had because nobody had really come across the sort of model we had before. But he was really enticed by it. He 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 felt that the watch industry was due some sort of shake up and change, and he himself had been trying to do that. Uh, in his uh, in in his own company, but uh, through a different route, more traditional uh, distribution, um, we pitch up with this at the time unique model with a view that said um, we wanted to offer top quality, but uh, only at a multiple of times three versus the average in the industry that's many times higher than that. And he was um, he was fascinated, and so we started. Uh, we moved all of our production to Synergy Horlogeur. We ended up working incredibly closely with them, um, and in 2014 we were uh, peas out of the same pod, and decided to literally merge uh, as one company. So Christopher Ward uh, became Christopher Ward London, and Christopher Ward CH under Christopher Ward Holdings, um, and um, almost simultaneously we'd been working with um with um Jorg and his master watchmaker at the time a chap called Johannes Janka who you may be familiar with Johannes had developed with us the um the uh, caliber SH21 which we again launched in um in 2014 this was a one a 120 hour power reserve 
movement uh, chronometer we uh, we delivered into a rather unsuspecting world um, on uh, July the 4th um, Independence Day 2014 and that uh, movement is um, still with us and is um, in the next 12 months or so we'll uh, move into the 2.0 version so uh, and Jorg at, at 2014 became a shareholder with Peter and I uh, and then to bring things right up to date we brought in in 2019 uh, a minority um, shareholder BGF Business Growth Fund who own a, um, a about a quarter of the business because we wanted until that point all of the money that had gone into the business had been um, mine and Peter's and a bit from York and we wanted to um, invest in um, parts of the infrastructure that needed investment so we could take the business and the brand to the next level. So we brought BGF in um, and they, uh, they, uh, they remain our partners to this day. So it's lovely to hear that you guys grew, grew into Switzerland. The Swiss side of things is a family run and owned business. Now I have a very handsome chap connected to me on LinkedIn called Peter France. Yeah. Do you know him? He's my he's my nephew. Okay, so does he still work at Christopher Ward? Yes, he does. He's uh, he's the um, new business manager for our um, bespoke side. So we could say, literally, on all sides of uh, the, the the pond, it's a family business. I, th- I think it's good. I mean, we had a interestingly, um, we had a um, uh, an, an away day with um, the teams from um, both Switzerland and uh, the UK last week. And one of the things we were talking about was the culture of the business. And one of the things that really came through was how people feel, um, despite the fact that we're growing rapidly, that there is a family feel to this business. And one of the challenges that we're faced with as we continue to grow is how we retain that, because it's sometimes very easy to lose sight of the things that matter most. And so this sort of camaraderie, and caring for each other, which uh, you get in most families, not all it should be said, um, I think is, I hope is evident here. And the teams themselves seem to think it is. So, so yes, it's fair to say there is a real family feel and um, yeah, both, uh, both spiritually and in reality to the business. That's lovely to hear. So where do you see Christopher Ward going? Where do you see it in a decade time? You guys are moving up market, but keeping pricing reasonable. And I would underline that and concur because although you're making more of high-end pieces, which I'm referring to the Belcanta, for example, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where, where do you guys see yourself going as a company, as a brand? We have pretty big ambitions. From, from day one, the mission was always to put premium watches on the wrists of as many people as possible. And to achieve that mission you've got to be sizable you know literally i want to walk down the center aisle of a plane and um and see people wearing chris ford watches on their wrists and enjoying the um the experience so we see ourselves growing very significantly probably in the next three to four years we will get close to trebling the size of the business today our biggest market is the united states um, and we are growing exponentially in that market. And of course, it's a very large market. And since the Belcanto, which I think it's fair to say um, was a 
transformational watch for the brand in many ways. We've definitely acquired many, many new customers and um, people interested in the brand in places like the Far East to the point that you know, Singapore, as you will know, Alon is a major a center for watch collectors. You know, Singapore um, was the third largest market for the Belcanto, for instance, which was a slight surprise to us. Um, so um, it's a pretty big world. It's a pretty big market that we're we're fortunate to operate in. I mean, by various accounts, it's depending on which report you read on which day, but it's it's anything between thirty five and fifty billion um, sterling equivalent, and you don't need to. Um, have a very large share of that market to have a pretty big business, and I've always believed that the Chris Ford brand is a very is a pretty large watch brand waiting to break out. Um, I'm also a fan of um, I don't know if you're aware of Jim Collins, a uh, Stanford educated business guru who wrote a very very um, well regarded book on business back in um, back about two decades ago. Not not um, not long before we formed uh, Christopher Ward, in fact, uh, called Good to Great. I don't know if you've come across it. But he, uh, he interestingly, did a lot of research. In, he had uh, more than 50 Stanford graduates working in his team, collating information uh, about what made Fortune 500 companies sustainably uh, more pro- significantly more profitable than the average uh, over a longer period of time, and he boiled he, this research led to a number of companies that had um, delivered on average some seven times the profits of the average Fortune 500 companies over sort of twenty to twenty five years. And he tried to distill what the component parts of those companies were that had led to this sustained success and growth. And one of the things that 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 um that was is fascinating that he discovered they may not all have described this in the same way but he distilled it into the flywheel principle in other words if you continually try and do the right stuff and that you continually focus on the product that you're delivering and the service that you're providing those companies uh, and good product has to be at the core of any good company um if you keep doing the right things over a period of time and you're reasonably smart. So in life, I think uh, the best you can do is hope to make more good decisions than bad decisions. So if you are making more good decisions than bad decisions uh, in your business, then you're essentially nudging a flywheel. And every time you put your shoulders to the flywheel, at the start of that process, the flywheel moves a small way and the next nudge it moves another small way but eventually the momentum of these consistent nudges gets the flywheel to start start spinning and in many ways um although i've been reading um colin since you know 2000 um that flywheel principle is coming true at the moment for Christopher Ward. I think by and large, whilst we've not made all correct decisions over the 20 years, my goodness, I wish we had, but there's no way we have. I think in general, we've made more good decisions than poor decisions. And we've always been focused on product, um, design, and quality. And because of that, and the team that have worked tirelessly to produce those products and get them to the customers, backed by 
profoundly good customer service and a genuine, genuine desire to put the customer first. Um, we've been nudging that flywheel. And bit by bit, every year we've grown, um, sometimes 5%, sometimes 30%. But now, with the introduction of certainly the uh, the Bel Canto followed uh, six months later by the um, the 12, the flywheel is really beginning to spin. So ultimately, I can see this brand and this business being a quarter of a billion and more. And the next three to four years, we'll see us make significant progress towards that level. So this is, again, as I say, down to the hard work and the brilliance of some of the people I, I have been very fortunate to work with in this business, and not to mention a dose of good luck along the way. If you can't be good, be lucky. Um, and we've fortunately been lucky in lots of ways as well. Would you switch or pivot the model by incorporating, for example, retailers or any other business model? Do you sell on other platforms or does 100% of the business come through ChristopherWard.com? 100% comes through uh, ChristopherWard.com. Apart from uh, we have a showroom um, here in um, here in Maidenhead and uh, people by appointment only visit that showroom and can buy. We have no wholesale model and have no intention at this stage of having a wholesale model. There's a very good reason for that. We don't, um, uh, as you will know, Alon, I mean, you're a retailer as well. I mean, the um, you have to have um, built into your, your pricing architecture, if you're going down the wholesale route, enough margin for the retailer. That's a perfectly valid way of operating. And it's the way the watch industry has largely operated for its entire history. The problem with it for a brand that wants to find a different place in the market, uh, and we always wanted to have a different place because these days, I think if you're not offering something different, um, it's going to be very hard uh, in a very crowded market. And let's be honest, the uh, the premium and luxury watch industry is a very crowded market. Unless you're offering something different, I think there's a real ceiling to your growth potential. And so um, by having this very simple business model where we multiply the cost price of everything we sell by three times um, to get to the selling price, that means that there isn't any margin there for a third party. And so the chances of us having a third party are zero in that sense in the mix because it would fundamentally alter our business model. Uh, That doesn't mean to say, however, that in time, I don't see us having other routes under the Christopher Ward um, name to the market. So the showroom we have here in Maidenhead is extremely successful. I mean, as I've been in retail all my professional life, and uh, I think we probably have the highest density, i.e. sales per square foot, of any retail space in the UK. Um, And therefore, do I see a potential, maybe, for us having um, similar showrooms that would not be on major um, high streets um, across the world. So, you know, would we, you know, the UK, would we ever consider uh, having a a site um, on Regent Street and paying two and a half million uh, in rent alone? No. Um, Would I think that we could have three or four showrooms around London um, in uh, tertiary locations with very low rent where people by appointment could have a 
real showroom experience, the like of which we offer them here. Yeah, I don't uh, discount that at all. And do I think that could internationally travel? Yes, I do. Um, so major urban centers potentially um, would be of interest. But I'm also a big believer, and the business is a big believer in focus. Um, it's very easy to to get carried away. Um, and so whilst we may go into these arenas, and from time to time um, we do a piece of work to to acquaint ourselves with what the possibilities might be, right now the growth we have online across various parts of the world is is of such a scale that we don't need to do that and we need to make sure that um, we service uh, this growth online uh, in the best possible way. So right now and for the near future, uh, the model remains as is. What it looks like in five years' time, I think, is, um, is, is an interesting, uh, interesting thought. Regarding the part of being a family-owned and run business, you said, if I understood correctly, that there are external investors that yeah. have a quarter of the business. Yeah. I didn't understand if they're private equity or venture capitalists, but... They're private. They're, well, they, they, they're patient. they prefer to be called patient capital. That's good. That's good. Because the, the downside of venture capital, private equity is, is lifetime cycles of five to seven years. And my question is, and that's what I'm leading up to, is how important is independence for Christopher Ward as a company? And do you think you'll stay independent or is that the mission? Independence to this point has been uh, extremely important to us. And I don't see that changing for um, a considerable time. I mean, the 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 real point of bringing anybody on board um, is only to, as far as I'm concerned, is um, only to uh, allow you to achieve your business goals. And at the time, as I say, back in 2019, we wanted to, de to develop some significant infrastructures that would support the growth from there up to um, the sort of levels that uh, I've been talking about. And so there was a considerable amount of capital that we wanted to invest in specific arenas, which we could have scraped together ourselves, but um, we felt um, we felt it was going to be interesting to bring these guys on board. Um, as I say, they're a minority um, shareholder, and they have long-term views of um, of their investments. Um, and for instance, you know, whilst they have a um, a position um, on the board, as you'd expect, you know. Um, that we don't have an, ex uh, an external chairman because um, they're very confident. I mean, you know, they, we, Peter and I have been involved in private equity for too long, you know, maybe 30 years now. And so they know and we know we're pretty well known in that world. And, you know, we've, we've, we've been reasonably successful in, in the past. Um, so they're, they, they've come in as, um, you know, not silent partners as such, but, um, but um, but as um, as a help, um, if in the future we decided that there was a need for huge external funds that the business cash flows could not um, support uh, themselves, then if it was the right thing for the business, then we would consider 
uh, additional capital coming in. But it has to be what what does the business require? Is it strategically a move that we want to make? Um, and can we afford it or not from our current cash flows? At the moment, you know, we have very good cash flows. As you will know, um, you know, cash is, cash is what really matters at the end of the day. And in the next several years, uh, I see absolutely no barriers um, to us remaining uh, independent and achieving the growth plans that we have. But, you know, who knows in three, five, ten years time what um, what what else happens? You know, I'm not going to be uh, I'm not going to be here on this mortal coil, um, you know, in 25, 30 years time. So there will be changes afoot. Um, the important thing for us is we're trying to build. As I said, why one of the reasons I'm really interested in the in things like Jim Collins and sustainably profitable businesses is there is um, I think one of the mores of society these days is is for quick flips, for um, quick wins, for people making quick bucks. Um, that's the antithesis of what we are about and have always been about. And what we're trying to do is put down really rooted foundations into this business and this brand that go way beyond our tenure um, and involvement in it so that um, it is, you know, it is a brand of the ages, as it were. And we're a long way from that. Um, but, you know, there are some pretty solid things already in place. And I think increasingly so that's 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 the aim um so and if we're going to achieve 100 million 250 million turnover you, you don't do that without having solid foundations would you see yourself becoming a little group by launching an additional brand maybe no and i say that only because again i believe in focus we can we don't need to do it Whatever you do, it can be successful, and there are many examples of it being successful. But I want us completely and utterly focused on the development and success of the Christopher Ward brand. And if you develop, a, if you create a separate brand, it has a completely different life force. It requires its own identity. Um, it requires its own character. Um, and you know, it's it's for us uh, right now. That would be a huge, huge distraction. We are completely and utterly devoted to this brand. That's not going to change. Certainly not while I'm around. It's actually lovely to hear because if I have to summarize everything I heard up until now, is it's a legacy brand. Mm. It seems like it's a legacy project for the initial three founders. Mm. Um, you've proven it by not selling out. Literally, family, mm. younger generations coming in. Ladies are focused on strategy and execution. So that's actually very rare in today's economy because you just explained it's it's all about quick bucks and quick flips, yeah. which I am also not about. Now, Adrian Buchmann was very proud of me that I guessed that the Christopher Ward logo was <laughs> representing a Swiss flag and an English flag. Yep, absolutely. Um, and I love on the website, you have a plus that's twisted mm -hmm. 90 degrees. Yeah. And it proudly says English Swissness. <laughs> How important is this British slash English identity, the DNA? Uh, very. It, it, it's again, it's what um, uh, I think separates us from the herd in many ways. Um, and we choose to describe ourselves as English as opposed to British. And some people 
why would they understand the nuance of that? But but um, some people do understand the nuance of it because there's a there's um, something uh, I think a little um, more uh, refined and genteel um, about Englishness. There's a definite sort of um, English style which is distinctively different in my view to a Britishness um, and a British style. And I think if you take account of what, um, what, we're, what we'd like to think we're pretty good at in this country of ours, um, I think we are pretty innovative. We're good designers. We're good risk takers, calculated risk takers. We're good. There's a good entrepreneurial spirit afoot in the UK. There always has been. You go back to the Industrial Revolution days, but I think that's re-emerged in the last um, 30, 30 odd years in the U- in in the UK. So there is a very unique set of things that um, that add up to the Englishness level of the brand. But then you look at the other side of the brand, the Swiss side. You know, we're talking here about watches, and so we're talking about precision instruments. We're talking about a degree of conservatism, rightly so, by the way, in terms of making sure that um, production and quality is catered for and looked after and nurtured. These two elements, when put together, um, we think create a, um, a really strong structure and give the brand a, and the business a sort of a, um, a foundation that is rare um, because often you'll find, whilst many British brands source uh, from Switzerland and their products are largely Swiss, they're presented only as British. Um, and we didn't want that. If you're going to create truly merged business where everybody in it is valued equally, um, then you have to find a way of encapsulating that in everything you do and every single signal you send out. And that is why we developed the logo, because we wanted the, the, the most uh, visible symbol of the business, both for the internal audience and, moreover, the external audience, to understand the equivalence of both sides of our business. And it is, I think, one of the unique parts of uh, the Chris Ward brand because I'm not aware of anybody else who has who has done that maybe they have as far as I know they haven't it's very interesting because I've been thinking and listening to uh, what you've been explaining now and while doing so I got a ping from one of the real-time show network members actually an oh. Englishman living in Holland oh, right. also Red Bar crew I'm some fan right. what does he send me Hold on, I'm getting my Christopher Ward Atoll 300 in within the hour. And I, <laughs> I, I kid you not. <laughs> it's, it's, he, he doesn't know we're recording. So oh, th- wow. they're flowing to the Netherlands as well. And wow, talking. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. so that's lovely. So I can't wait to see during the next Red Bar Meetup. We had at the previous Red Bar Meetup the Bel Canto, which I yeah. had the honor already to play around with hold it, admire it, and fall in love with it. Super original. And I'm referring back to what you said about the um, English being innovative in design. Now, the bel canto really was something new. Following with that uh, flywheel that you guys activated, which you were referring at, Mm. the 12 created a lot of stirs. I'm quite 
positive. It created a lot of sales because I know a lot of people ordering, but it also shook up the market mm. and s- created a lot of criticism now of which was, oh, it looks like a Chapek Antarctic. Oh, it looks like the Tissot PRX. It looks like the Zenith Defy and it looks like this and that. And da, 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 da. Now in Holland, and I've said this several times on air, we have a Dutch saying in the industry, a beautiful watch, which is translated, a beautiful watch is a sold watch, okay? <laughs> Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm. But talking about originality, mm-hmm. would you say the 12 is utterly original or is it inspired by? And, and where do you put the foot down on when something is original or not? Fair question. Um, one that um, I think uh, Ed Sheeran could probably answer, uh, as well as I. Um, um, I, I. There has been a lot of comment. Um, I think one of the one of the reasons for the commentary, perhaps, is that um, Adrian um, Buckman, who uh, designed um, the Antarctique, was also involved in the design of the um of the 12 uh, and adrian joined us as our employee in 2015 um and actually we we started work on um the very first conversations we were having about um about an integrated sports watch were um back in 2017 because uh, as part of the great pantheon of uh, luxury sports watches that have Mostly graced um, the world stage since uh, 1972, the first appearance of the Royal Oak. Most uh, one of those was indeed our own C2 Lido, which we launched in um, 2013. People have forgotten that I think that we uh, we were into integrated bracelet watches back in um, back in 2013. But you're quite right. I mean, and we've been and we always are. Uh, I hope transparent and, uh, and open about. Um, being inspired by Harold Henter um, and um, and the work that he did back in the seventies and beyond. Um, but let's be clear. I mean, um, and I I'm a huge fan of the Japek Antarctique, um, which I think they launched in um, 2020. Um, but the Japek Antarctique uh, almost certainly takes its references from. The Royal Oak, the Nautilus, the Ingenieur, the 222, the Laureato, the Hublot Classic, the Rolex Oyster Quartz, the Bulgari Octo Finissimo, the Frederick Constein Highlight, and on and on and on. There are certain tropes um, within uh, that, that Henter uh, created um, that are to do with, um, that make up uh, a, um, a integrated sports watch. And those tropes are, uh, very clearly, um, the bezel design. Um, uh, the second trope uh, is the dial, and the third trope is the integrated bracelet. Now, if you if you closely look at all of those watches that we have discussed, including uh, the twelve and including the Antarctique, all of them play different tunes using the same chords, yeah? Uh, everybody genuflects to the tropes that that genius Henter evolved back in the 70s. But they play, if they do it well, and I think we've done it very well, um, 
the 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 tune is different, uh, even though the chords are the same. And so I think um, uh, people maybe forget and aren't as familiar with the history of the dozens of various integrated bracelet watches that are out there, but we certainly are. And we have been influenced by the best of all of them, but mostly by Henta. And we understand the tropes and the team here, um, I think, did a really substantially excellent job at finding a way to make them Christopher Ward's tropes. Yeah, And that's the real skill. Just as I think Japek did a fantastic job of making the Antarctique Japek's tropes, um, just as Bulgari did a fantastic job of the Octo Finissimo. You know what I mean? It's 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 part of of what we what 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 the watch industry has always been about and done well will always be about. Um, so I'm delighted that people have um, have 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 recognised and um, seen what we've done i think the bigger the bigger discussion that uh, i've read online is is well if you know they've been quite astonished by the level of quality and the finishing that we've brought to the party at the sort of pricing that we've been able to bring it out at and i think you know maybe to some extent some people are um and some brands who who maybe can you know uh, worried are a bit concerned uh, and their customers may be a bit concerned. Well, what is the difference then? Why, why are you charging twenty times more, or fifteen times more, or eight times more uh, for something that is not obviously eight times, fifteen times, twenty times better? That's an interesting debate to have. That's definitely an interesting one to have. And I have a zillion more questions for you. And so much more ground to cover. So the episode with Adrian Brookman on The Real Time Show is episode 58. So we also go into this current discussion. Mm -hmm. So for our listeners, you can also go back and listen to that. Thank you, Mike, for being so honest and open. We could spend a whole episode on just the topic of design and of the, mm. the philosophical discussion of originality of things. It's an interesting one, isn't it? It's, it's lovely how you used uh, the tropes, and I love the metaphor of using, uh, using the same strings but different tunes. What I wanted to ask you, what do you do with that feedback? Do you guys actually listen to it? And how do you go about with consumer feedback? Oh, uh, uh, I think you should always listen to feedback, um, uh, constructive or otherwise. Uh, obviously, the constructive feedback one gets is um, is always valuable. Um, we are obsessed with um, uh, listening to our customers. Have been from day one. This is something that particularly Peter and I have always been in our past lives. We we I know it often gets said and. You know, I'm not entirely sure in how believable it is in some instances, but uh, I can honestly say and look myself in the mirror when I'm shaving in the morning that um, you know the customer is at the centre of our business. So we listen to as much as we can. We're very fortunate, very lucky to have um, a couple of uh, well, there's several social platforms devoted to Christopher Ward these days, but we, the very first one was set up in um, 2006, the Chris Ward forum, which today has thousands and thousands of members and is a 
completely editorial, editorially independent. And so that is a huge um, receptacle of information for us. But so is the Christopher Ward Enthusiast Group on Facebook. So are our Instagram accounts. So is Twitter. So is talking to people. My email address is on um, the website. Um, I often spend half my weekends uh, communicating with customers. So we we are avid, avid, avid listeners of customers. And, you know, they have had a huge influence on um, some of the products that we brought out, some of the designs that we've done. You know, early criticisms years ago would be we our loom wasn't good enough. Uh, you know, you don't do enough sizes. You know, your, your, your dive watch is too thick. Um, you know, the, the a good case in point would be the Trident Pro 300, which is, um, you know, which is our best-selling dive watch. And, um, you know, what we learned from working very closely with the forum, they gave us a list of things that they would really want included in their perfect dive watch. We went out to them and said, look, you know, here's a questionnaire that we'd love you to fill in for us. And thousands of people filled it in. And so with their help and support, we created what we believe to be um, the best, one of the best dive watches on the market, full stop, and definitely the best dive watch anywhere near the price point. The gentleman is Miles that I was referring at. He ordered the Crystal Ward Atel 300 in blue. Yeah. We are recording this uh, literally a few days after you launched that. Indeed. A, a few feedback I've read, and I'm just voicing them this is not my personal opinion is oh they looked at rolex they looked at the oyster perpetual stella ish dials and the bezel is a yacht master uh, by rolex well what would you answer these criticasters well i would go and ask them to look back at the history of our watches we've been doing fume dials for many years um the c60 pro 600 um, also had a stainless steel bezel. So this is this is this, these these have been around our collection for many years. I think we were one of the first people, and I think we actually beat Rolex to Fume dials. So, of course, when you are a major brand like Rolex and you're only a a small fish like us, people's reference points uh, are obviously going to be much more sunk into that which they see more often, i.e. the the major brands. But if you take the time, uh, it's like I say in terms of the um, uh, the um, the debate and the discussion to be had about integrated bracelet watches, I don't see many people referring to the C2 Lido, you know, and the fact that very unusually um, at that time, and this is a design trope that we've carried through from the C2 Lido, which was launched in 2013, um, you know, the male end piece of the bracelet, very unusual. Mostly, um, that's just one significant difference to, say, the Antarctic, um, you know, the male end piece, which we developed for the Lido. Um, and we wanted to have a reference point to the Lido. So, <laughs> so you know, it's, 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 um, I think, and I completely understand it. Why, why would we expect people to, uh, be experts on the history of Christopher Ward? Um, when, you know, we, we, we've hardly surfaced without trace compared to the might and of, of a, of a brand like Rolex. But if people have the time and have the inclination 
to inform themselves. And I'm a great believer in action with insight. And uh, if you do take the time to really delve into, um, you know, the design history of, of, of Christopher Ward, um, you'll see a progression, I hope, as we've got better and better. And the introduction of people like Adrian in 2015 was a huge stimulus to that. But we have always had yeah, an eye for these sorts of things. So it's 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 worthy of people's time, I think, to um, to have a look. Mike, it's it's such a joy and pleasure to talk to you, and I really really appreciate your openness and directness. And and I I need to end this on this now, but I don't want to, because <laughs> I I, I kind of wanted to discuss maybe the most important thing that you are the co-founder of the British watch and clock makers, Alliance, uh, together yeah. with uh, Doctor Roger. W. Smith, the, the apprentice of the famous George Daniels. And it's mm. amazing work you've done because I believe you have have already 80 members. Yeah, we signed up our 80th member only yesterday. Yeah, um, so, so congratulations. Well, so may you. I use this opportunity to invite both Roger and you to come on the Real Time Show another time and we can just discuss that? Uh, we, w- we would absolutely love to, Alan. I mean, it, it, with my other hat on, um, you know, both Roger and I are passionate about how we can grow um, watchmaking on these shores. And so we would, any opportunity we get to talk about what's really going on in the UK is uh, gratefully accepted by us. So, uh, yes, I will speak to Roger and whenever possible, we would love to come back and talk to you about the Alliance. Fantastic. That would be an honor because obviously Rob is British. I love British. Well, I said it, women and watches. We've covered many of them. So it would be a great honor for us and our listeners. Until that episode is going to air, please visit BritishWatchmakers.com. Mike, I want to thank you so, so much for your time and openness. I really enjoyed this episode. Likewise, Alon. I mean, it's, uh, it seemed to fly by. So um, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it too. And it's great to talk to you. And thank you for inviting me again. Thank you so much. And for our dear listeners, thank you for listening and giving us the feedback. If you have any questions, either for Mike Franz or Rob, David, or I, you can obviously always visit our website, therealtime.show. You can find Rob on Instagram at Rob Nuds, R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S, or email him at Rob at The Real Time Show. You can find me on Instagram at A-L-O-N-B-N-J-O-S-E-P-H and email me Alon at The Real Time Show. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment, and keep on ticking.